So uh, this week, uh, we continue with, with Ruth, and we're going we're gonna to pick up in Ruth chapter 4. We'll be looking at verses 1 to 6. So th- this week, we'll be finishing, actually, our series on the book of Ruth. Last week, we saw how Ruth went boldly to Boaz on the threshing floor and asked that he fulfill his covenant, that he protect her, that he take his place as her redeemer. Boaz is overjoyed. This is what he wanted. This is exactly what he had hoped for. He was worried that the Ruth would go running around to some other man, some of those who were younger and maybe a bit more attractive, for, for she is young and desirable herself. But instead of chasing after others, she has asked him to keep his promise to her family, to keep his promise to redeem her. And he is willing and zealous to do it. But there's an issue. There is someone standing in the way. There is someone else who also has claim to Ruth. And so Boaz sets out to see what he can do about bringing Ruth into his house. And that's where we pick up with our text this morning. Ruth chapter 4 verses 1 through 6. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there, and behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, Turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit down here. So they sat down. And then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belongs to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of the people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, the day that you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth, the Moabite the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Thus ends the reading this morning. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word, for your word is truth. God, I pray that you would speak through your word this morning, that you would perform the miracle that feeds our souls. We pray this in your name. Amen. I cannot redeem it myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. And here we see the brutal reality that Ruth was living in. There is a man who has taken an oath. He has promised to redeem the family of Elimelech. So that if Elimelech dies, this this man will stand in for him. This man has promised to do what it takes to make sure that Elimelech and his family are provided for, to make sure that they are taken care of. And now that Elimelech is gone, he and his sons have, have passed away, and there is no one to take care of Elimelech's land, no one to provide for Elimelech's family. And so now this man has the opportunity to fulfill the oath that he made to make good on his promise. And at first, he's excited to do so. Elimelech's wife, Naomi, is selling the land that her husband owned. And because this man is their closest redeemer, he has the rights of first purchase. 
And the man is excited about this. He'll get to increase his own farmland, his, his own wealth. Of course he'll redeem it, he says. But then he finds out that redeeming Elimelech's family does not just mean acquiring the land, acquiring the wealth, but that he also acquires a wife, Ruth, the Moabitess, and that if he were to redeem Elimelech, it also means having children with Ruth, so that Elimelech's line may continue. And here, the man, the would-be redeemer, balks. For he wasn't in this game to honor those that had come before him. He wasn't a redeemer so that he could do goodwill to those who couldn't do it for themselves. He's in the game so that he can become wealthy. He's using the path of redeemer to add to his own portfolio. To add to his own lands and, and wealth. And so when he realizes that purchasing this land, that redeeming Elimelech's family means it comes with Ruth, he declines to act on his right, his responsibility, his obligation, his promise as redeemer. For if he marries Ruth and she has kids, the land that he was hoping to attain would be taken from him. He would have the cost of maintaining this land. He would have the expense of, of feeding this family. And then he would see no benefit when the son he bore with Ruth got old enough to work and maintain the land himself. Seeing that marrying Ruth would impair, would hurt, would lower his own personal wealth, he rejected his right as redeemer. She was just too much. She was just too much of an added burden and risk. The consequences were too great. And so instead of doing what he had promised to do, instead of redeeming her, he rejected her. Rejection. Each of us will face rejection in some form or another in our lives. Some rejection we will earn. My senior year of high school, I, I didn't make the choir. Now, some of you have, have heard me sing, and you're thinking, yeah, dude, like, I, I get it. I understand. But, but the kicker for me was that I had made choir my junior year. I wasn't, I wasn't rejected by the choir director because I had suddenly forgotten how to sing. I was cut by the choir director because over the summer, he had found out that I was the perpetrator of an event that had brought him some embarrassment the previous year. And though his embarrassment had been an unintended consequence, I, I hadn't meant to hurt him in any way, he found out, and I did not make choir my senior year. I didn't make choir because of something I had done, not because I wasn't good enough to be in choir. I was reaping the fruit of my actions, getting my deserved consequence. And then sometimes we'll face rejection that we did not earn, and could not help. I'm not sure I'll ever forget standing in the hall on the day that the basketball teams were announced my eighth grade year. In our school, we had two teams for grades seven through nine, the seventh and eighth grade team and the eighth and ninth grade team. I've been practicing hard. You know, I've been, I've been working my tail off and playing with the ninth graders to push myself to get better. I had felt the tryouts had gone well, and yet, as I stood there looking at the list of those who had made the 8th to ninth grade team, my name was absent. And I cut pretty deep. I knew that I had as much talent as some of those that had made the list. I knew that I wasn't a bad basketball player. But my talent and skill were not enough to overcome my height. I was 4'7". 
I did not have the ability to overcome that particular obstacle. I had hoped that the coach would have mercy on me, that he would show me some grace. He was my youth leader, after all. But instead, I stood there facing the pain of rejection, cut because of something that I had no control over. It is so often rejection or the fear of it that keeps us from moving forward. We're afraid to apply for the job that we truly want because what if they reject me and my dreams of pursuing my career come tumbling down around me? Before Karen and I got together, how many times did I just decide not to pursue someone that I was interested in simply because it was easier to watch them be with someone else than it would have been to know that they did not want to be with me? Maybe we are hesitant to use the gifts and talents that we have been given because they seem to pale in comparison to the gifts and talents that others have been given. And we don't want to be rejected in our passions, in the things that we love to do. Maybe you've been laid off or fired and and it has robbed you of your confidence in pursuing another job, or at least it's robbed you of your ability to interview well and, and show that you are fully qualified for the job that you've applied for. Maybe your rejection has nothing to do with choir or with high school sports or with work or that person that you're attracted to or with the group of people that you wish that you could be hanging out with. Maybe your rejection has nothing to do with anything that I've listed here, but whatever it is, being rejected has hurt you. Somewhere at at, at some point in time, you were told that you were not good enough, that your best just wasn't acceptable, that you were not needed or wanted, and you were rejected, and being rejected has hurt you. No one wants to be told they aren't good enough. No one wants to be told that their best just, just isn't enough. We, we don't need our insecurities and, and doubts and fears held under someone else's microscope. There's too much danger. There's, there's just too much risk. And these fears, this, this possibility of rejection is magnified when it comes to our relationship or, or potential relationship with God, isn't it? God's supposed to be all-loving. He's supposed to care for us. He's he's supposed to forgive the horrible things that we have done. But how could he? How could he forgive so much? How could he love someone so unworthy? You see, we are very familiar, intimately aware of how much, how completely, and how utterly we fall short. And as we, as we look over our sin, as we gaze over the battlefield of our lives, the war waged between the desire to do good, to do the right thing, to ultimately follow His, God's will, and His guidance and call in our lives, and then, and then the desire to serve ourselves, to do what we want to do, to ignore what is right, what is edifying, and to do what is pleasurable and satisfying, though not ultimately fulfilling, As we gaze over over this battle, there's just so much guilt and shame, right? I mean, the good side just doesn't seem to win as much as it should. And so we know that we are the Moabites. We are the imposters. We don't belong here. We have hidden what we can. We have changed our accents to the best of our ability. We have blended in. We've, We've learned the language. But deep down... 
Deep down, we know that we don't belong in the land of promise. We don't belong in the family of God. We haven't earned it. We certainly don't deserve it. And so we brace ourselves for rejection. Maybe some of us never walk in the door of a church because we know we are convinced that rejection would follow. We know that some churches are just better at seeing our struggle than they are at seeing our heart. And we feel that ultimately we don't belong. We don't want to be rejected by God. We don't want to be rejected by the one who is supposed to love us and forgive us. The one who is supposed to redeem us. Like Ruth, we are a burden. The cost of taking care of us, it just seems too great. For our sin has marked us for who we are. Marked us. Marked us. Marianne Bird understands how that feels. No, I know that I've shared her story before, but it's just so good that I had to share it again. You see, Mary understands what it feels like to be marked, to not feel like she is good enough, to feel like she is an imposter. Marianne was born in Brooklyn, New York in 1928. And she was born with a severe cleft palate. Now, I'm not sure if you're familiar with what that is, but that's a we're familiar with what that is, but it's a severe disfigurement in, in the mouth there. Your, your teeth don't line up, and often you have a big cut on your lip, and, and it goes up with the gums, and your nose can be uh, adjusted with that as well. It just it doesn't look right. It looks incredibly wrong. Now, she was born with this severe cleft palate, which required approximately 17 surgeries to fix and it went well into the, 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 the reconstruction went well into her teen years. And in her memoir, The Whisper Test, Marianne relates this story. She writes, I grew up knowing I was different, and I hated it. I was born with a cleft palate, and, and when I started school, my classmates made it clear to me how I looked to others. A little girl with a misshapen lip, crooked nose, lopsided teeth, and garbled speech. When schoolmates asked, what happened to your lip? I'd, I'd tell them I had fallen and cut it on a piece of glass. Somehow it seemed more acceptable to have suffered an accident than to have been born different. I was convinced that no one outside my family could love me. That was, however, there, there was, however, a teacher in the second grade whom we all adored, Mrs. Leonard by name. She was short round and happy, a sparkling lady. And annually, we had a hearing test. Mrs. Leonard gave the test to everyone in the class, and finally, it was my turn. I knew from past years that as we stood against the door and, and covered one ear, the teacher sitting at the desk on the other side of the room would, would whisper something, and we would have to repeat it back. Things like, the sky is blue, or do you have new shoes? I waited there for the words that God must have put into her mouth. Those seven words that changed my life. Mrs. Leonard said in her whisper, I wish you were my little girl. I wish you were my little girl. The redeemer that rejected Ruth was a false redeemer. 
He did not keep his promises. He looked out for himself and, and what he could get out of the deal. He treated the redemption business as a business. He judged her based off of how much of a burden she would be and how much she would cost him and, and found that she was not worth the price. And so he rejected her. Much as the world judges us and rejects us. But the world is also a false redeemer. It sees our flaws, it, it sees our failings, and it judges us harshly. It judges us based off of what it can get out of us, how much we can do for it. And when we pursue vindication in the eyes of the world, when we pursue purpose in the eyes of this false redeemer, when we pursue purpose in, in how much we get paid, or how popular we are, or how much people like us, or what groups we get accepted into, how attractive people think that we are, how well we perform in sports or at work, we simply set ourselves up for rejection. Maybe not right away, maybe not for a while, but eventually we all get rejected because eventually our sin and our failings, our humanity catch up with each of us and we just aren't good enough. We can't maintain that goodness. We just don't bring enough value. We just can't get it done anymore. And so inevitably, at some point in time, we are rejected by the world, this false redeemer. But church, friends, God has provided for when we are rejected. As we look at our text this morning, isn't it fascinating that this rejection by the false redeemer is what we were all hoping for? This is what we wanted. This is what Ruth wanted. She wasn't seeking to be redeemed by the false redeemer. She didn't want this man to purchase the land. She didn't want to be brought into his house. She didn't know how she would be treated. But, but based off of how he dealt with her case, it wasn't looking very promising. No, Ruth was happy, so overjoyed to be redeemed by the true Redeemer, by Boaz. When the first Redeemer, the false Redeemer, rejected her, it did not affect how she viewed herself. It did not affect her self-worth. It did not affect her perception of who she was. For though the false Redeemer rejected her, the true Redeemer pursued her. The true Redeemer met her in the field. The true Redeemer gave her safety and peace and comfort. He lightened her load. He provided food and water for her. He made sure that she had what she needed. When she approached him with all of her Moabite baggage and the scandal of her past and what people would think if they were seen together, he embraced it and promised her that he would take her, that he would love her, that he would redeem her. Boaz, the redeemer, looked at Ruth just as Mrs. Leonard looked at Mary Ann Bird and said, I wish that you were mine. Despite the flaws, despite the struggles, despite being a Moabite, a foreigner, despite the extra burden, despite the hardships and the judgment from others, he said, I want you to be mine. I will redeem you. And this is how the Lord God in heaven looks on each of us. Though we have been rejected by the false redeemer of the world, God has not rejected us. 
Though the world around us has made us feel like we are useless, it has consistently reminded us of our flaws and our failings. It has preyed upon our insecurities. God has seen all of this, seen all of our shortcomings, seen all of our embarrassments, seen all of our pains and disappointments, and He has not rejected us. He has not fallen out of love with us. Instead of rejecting us, out of his great love, he pursued us. He met us in the field. He met us where we are at. He provided water for us. He lightens our load. For he sent to us and sent for us his son, Jesus. And Jesus took all that the world judges us for, all that the world rejects us for. He took all that sin and the shame and the failing and the scars and the doubt and the hurt. He took it all upon himself and he carried them up the hill with the cross. And there, when they nailed him to that tree, he became sin for us and in becoming sin was rejected by God in our place. Instead of rejecting us, God rejected His Son in our place. And there, in rejection, Jesus died. But three days later, He rose again, conquering sin and death, proving Himself the victor, the all-powerful, showing that He is God, that He has the power to save and through this power, He has redeemed us. So when we believe in Him, when we have faith in Him, when we rest in the faith that He has given us, we are restored to a right, a good, a proper relationship with God. So that when God sees us, He doesn't see our sin and our failings. Instead, He sees His Son. For Christ is the true Redeemer who stood in our place when we could not. And so through faith in Jesus, God sees us as righteous. And God does not reject us, but embraces us as his own. None of this is because what we have done. All of it is because of Jesus and what he has done. All of this is because of the love that God has for each of us, that God has for you. I'm not saying that the rejection of the world won't sting. I know they will. I have been stung. But I am encouraging each of us, myself included, to remember that the world is a false redeemer. That the true redeemer walks with us as we journey within his will. And chases after us when we run from it. The true redeemer will never give up on us. And the true redeemer cannot wait to use you in spite of all your flaws and failings, to use you in his mission to bring about his kingdom. He desires for you to find fulfillment in his love for you and purpose in his desire for you. God can and will use you. Look at Ruth. She was a Moabite. She'd been expressly forbidden from having fellowship with the Jews, and yet through Boaz, she was redeemed. She was brought into the family. And she and Boaz had a son named Obed, and Obed had a son named Jesse, and Jesse had a many sons, and one of them was named David. And David would one day become a king. And so Ruth, the Moabite, the foreigner, ended up being the grandmother of King David. And what's more, she also ended up 
being in the lineage of Jesus, the true Redeemer of the world. If God can use a Moabite, a foreigner, one scene is not fit for the promise. If he can redeem her and use her in such awesome and fantastic ways, how does he long to use you? For make no mistake, he does long to use you. He longs to use each of us in his mission to bring about his kingdom. As we close this series on Ruth, I pray that you have been encouraged. I pray that you have seen in maybe some new ways how God has provided for you. In spite of how you are feeling, in spite of how you are performing. And though it may seem like God has just made life harder or that he is not, at least not making life easier, I pray that you would be encouraged in the ways that he has provided, the ways that we need it most. Church, friends, God has provided for you. Rest in that. And then take it and use it to serve your neighbor, to bless your neighbor with the love of God. May God's provision for you drive you to mission that others may know how he has provided for them as well. What a fantastic, amazing, wonderful, loving, forgiving, and redeeming God we serve. Amen.